Alright, welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of Dad's Right, the Outdoors Western Canada Edition. I, uh, I've dis- I've discovered through my Saskatoon trips that I think renting cars is a good way to to try them out. To you know maybe one day I'm assuming the truck won't last forever. And eventually, uh, maybe, maybe eventually not. Eventually, it'll need to be replaced. So you know I've had I've had a Sonata, which I was so I was impressed by. It was it was pretty good. I had a Challenger, which you know was great, but probably not the most practical for uh, winter driving <laughs> yeah and and this time i have a passat which is a super nice car but just a couple little things about it and things you might not notice on a test drive but where they put the the switch to turn the wind, wind rear view mirrors on the sides is on the door handle so it's a bit not quite intuitive on how you have to push the button in order to turn them the right direction. It's a bit bizarre. And then the other thing is there's no the only there's only one spot to hang on the door and it's on like the angle one. There's nothing there's no hole in the in the armrest yeah. area where there normally is. And 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 so when it, as the door goes out it's harder to reach that angled one. So not major things, but enough that, you know, I probably wouldn't buy a Passat. Good to know. Yeah, there you go. I don't. I want to throw in before we continue that the wind picked up and that kind of reminded me. So we are we are fully outside. Um, so if you hear any background noise or anything like that, that's that's just the ambiance. Yeah, that's right. Like that car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's uh, looking like it might rain. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can wait out beat the rain. That was my next good time. It's nice to have an outdoor recording, and I'm pretty sure I just got rain done. Yep, it's starting to rain. All right, pause. All right, we're still outside. But we've moved to under an awning. So, less, it's, you know, water and electronics never goes well. No, no, it doesn't. Um, but we're a bit more exposed to the wind here, so we'll see how it, see how it turns out. Yeah. It might just be a bunch of... <laughs> It'll be a short episode in that case. And also, I, I did want to say, I, we've now hit over 2,000 downloads since we've changed hosts, which means 23,000, 2,300 overall. 23,000, that'd be nice. Under 23,000, 2,300. Just still, it's all right. That'd be like more people than all of Yellowknife if it was 23,000. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's, a, it's, it's, it's not people because it's sa- same people listen multiple episodes, but downloads. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, is that all you got for good times? Yeah, that's it. All right. I've got, uh, I've got two things, actually, so it was a great week. <laughs> uh, so last time, maybe it was two times ago, maybe it was more, I don't know, I don't remember. But do you remember when I, we were talking about how the Alberta government spent like $12 million fighting a Netflix kids movie? Yes. The Bigfoot movie? I think that was uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, because it was like anti-oil. Yeah. It was called Bigfoot. And the director of the movie sent his thanks to the Alberta government's energy sector for starting a, quote, ludicrous fight over the film. The uh, animated movie debuted on Netflix in February, and about two weeks later it had fallen off the top ten list of the most viewed films. Um, But after the controversy earlier this month, it went back up to number eight and stayed there until last Sunday. 
So, the director added that the movie also made it to the top 10 most viewed list for other streaming services such as iTunes and Google Play. And there were probably between 30 and 50 million people who saw the film on Netflix over the last four weeks. He said, I don't know to what extent, but the controversy helped rather than hurt the film. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, obviously, if it had fallen out of the top 10, I yeah. think people were done watching it. And then it went back up to eight. Is it is it a Canadian-made documentary? Because then it would be, you know, it's it's still, well, one it's, way or another, he's helping. It's not a documentary at all. Oh. It's a kid's movie. Yeah, sorry, kid's movie. Yeah, it's an animated kid's movie. I, I mean, the director's from Brussels, so I don't think it's Canadian. Oh, well. Belgian-made. But either way, so. what a waste of money. Um, but that seems to be what Jason Kenney's best at. <laughs> More on that later. And then also, more than 5 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines administered in Canada officially, 2 million of which are in Ontario alone. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, actually. Put it in good times because the more people we have vaccinated, the better. Sorry, that was probably a drastic increase of volume. I wanted to pick something up before I forgot. It should be higher. Yeah. It should be higher than that. It should be. And the fact that almost half of it's just in Ontario, really, you know, it doesn't make me feel great being in Alberta. Yeah, and... Uh, um I don't know what the numbers are this week, but Regina's numbers should go up for vaccinations because I know a lot of people ship their vaccines there because of the... I think it's the worst place in the country right now. Oh, geez. Per Uh, 100,000, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Bad times. Bad times. What do you got? Well, Beyonce's storage unit was hit by thieves with over one million in goods stolen. So I don't know if we know yet if it's the same people that hit Gaga's dogs. (laughs) Uh, Potentially, but... You know, it's, uh, I'm sure the police are looking into that and probably checking out that angle as well. Yeah. And also, you know, just on another note, if you have a million dollars in storage, you probably have too much shit. I was going to say, did she even notice? Like, (laughs) unless, unless it's all her trophies and gold records and stuff that she's just too humble to put in her house and she puts them in storage. I don't know. But other than that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you need to have a million dollars worth of stuff. Maybe she should, you know, sell it on facebook or something. <laughs> facebook marketplace yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i feel like beyonce a million dollars that's nothing for her she that's probably funny. didn't notice <laughs> so for uh, sure somebody had to tell her <laughs> they went to the brought her to the storage room and she's like can you tell us what's missing and she's like no what I, I don't see anything gone <laughs> um yeah so for my bad times First off, star of uh, Arrested Development and Archer, Jessica Walter, the actress, uh, passed away at 80. Natural causes, passed in her sleep. So it's not particularly tragic. I mean, you know, she lived a long life and, and uh, had a successful career. But it's, you know, it's it's a bad time because she is very funny. She was brilliant in Arrested Development. Yeah. And I don't think you've ever seen Archer, um, no. but she was brilliant in Archer as well. She, but she was my favorite character in Arrested Development. Yeah. She was so good. funny. She's a very funny woman. She might be Canadian? I, had, I didn't know that, but... I, I don't recall... I don't know why I think that. She's not. She was born in Brooklyn. Not Canadian at all. Anyway, though, so that's, a sh- that's a too bad. Condolences to her family. Um, but uh, lived a good life. And then there was a another gun massacre in the United States this time in a Colorado supermarket where it was if you're hearing the pawing at the door that is um, my roommate Elizabeth's dog wanting outside but we will not let him out because it is starting to rain and we don't want him to get wet 
Um, that's what that is. But yes, uh, there was another uh, mass shooting less than a week after the one in Atlanta, where uh, a gunman opened fire in a grocery store. Ten people were killed, including a police officer. And uh, it was a 21-year-old man who purchased an assault weapons less than a week earlier. You should not be able to get an assault rifle, period. But also, not that fast. Yeah. He's in custody. They've yet to determine a motive. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we'll have more on that next week. And then in Vancouver, there was a stabbing that killed one person and sent six others to the hospital. Again, the RCMP have the suspect man in his 20s into custody. Again, they don't know. They don't have a motive yet. That was on Saturday, which I guess was yesterday. So it is an ongoing investigation, and we will see, hopefully, uh, more information next week. The world seems to be going mad, though, basically, is the bottom line. Yes. A lot of stuff is just kind of hitting the fan. There's a kind of hush all over the world. Tonight, all over the world, you can hear the sounds. All over the world, and in what's becoming pretty much a weekly segment, over a hundred protesters were killed in Myanmar the other day, and and that was, that was a headline I read maybe Friday, mm-hmm. Thursday or Friday, and then today's headline, every day seems to be bloodiest day headline it's the new worst day and and they apparently opened fire at a funeral the troops so and this is after the military celebrated like myanmar's annual military day or whatever it was like they had a parade and everything in the capital while in other cities the military was massacring civilians but you know every time i see one of these things um it's tragic, it's horrible, it shouldn't be happening, but I'm reminded of the fact that despite this, the people are still protesting. Yeah. They know the risks, but they are willing to go and fight anyway, and there's something very admirable about that. Yeah, you just wonder when it... It's a very tricky situation, like how can other countries help, and should other countries help? Yeah, because it seems that, uh, you know... Like what's the what the like the most obvious I suppose and direct way to help would be to you know send military aid, but do we want do they want you know as they're fighting a military coup then foreign troops landing on their shores you know um that area of the world generally doesn't have good experience for when the U S or Britain gets involved in their affairs yeah. you know yeah you know like they I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't I would not want the U S to come if I was in Myanmar to come help us with the military because they have a bad habit of coming over to help and then forgetting to leave, you know? So, but I don't know. I don't know what you do then. Like, I mean, we're sanctioning. We're saying, hey, don't do that. But it seems more like a slap on a wrist than anything. And and yeah. sanctions hurt the people as much as they hurt the government. Yeah, you need, maybe the UN needs to step in somehow. I don't know. Peacekeepers and peacemakers, they're basically ineffective. Yeah. It's difficult. It's a tough one, but you don't like to see, you know, innocent people get shot. So. Yeah, so I don't know what you do. It's tough. I'd like Canada come over and help us militarily. <laughs> like, just let us go over. Come on, like, we have to have... I, I mean, we don't have the the biggest military, but come on, it has to be the Myanmar's. Come on. Probably. Come on. It better be. If it's not, then that's a sad state of affairs. Yeah, as, as, you know, you talked about... Moving on, anyway. You talked about Canada has 5 million people vaccinated. Britain hit 30 million. Uh, receiving their first shots so what's their population though 
It's more. I don't know the population. Percentage-wise, is that is that doing much better than us? I feel like it probably is. And is that just England, or is it the, England, England, or is it the whole United Kingdom? Uh, the article said Britons. Oh, okay. So that's probably the entire United Kingdom. It has uh, uh it has about twice our population. Yeah. And that's, and more, that's than twice more than our yeah. Accent. So they're doing much better than us. Yeah. Putin has said he experienced mild side effects from the COVID shot, which is shocking because normally he's sort of the model of health and perfection. I know he plays hockey better than anyone ever. <laughs> he's, he's shirtless on horses. He's, I was just surprised to hear him admit that he had any sort of negative reaction to anything. Yeah, really. That is very surprising. And in... Uh, what has to be the funniest blunder of the week, a ship has got caught in the Suez Canal. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it got there, but it's now been the brunt of sort of several memes, uh, including one of my, I think my favorites, like, everyone make mistakes, but most can't be seen from space. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like he was trying to do a three-point turn and didn't have enough room. I don't know. I think he lost power. Yeah. Like the rudder isn't working or anything. So they're thinking about they might have to unload the ship to get it moved. Yeah, it's been stuck for a long time now. And that's a seriously important canal. Yeah, people are having to, like, throw themselves back to the, you know, 13th, 14th century. (laughs) Yeah, going around the Horn of Africa. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I will never cease to be amazed by how many examples there are on a yearly basis of how fragile the global capitalist system is. And yet we're constantly told, oh, it's the best system there is out there. A huh. boat got stuck in a canal, and it's thrown everything into chaos. But it's, you know, well, it's a canal that has the only way through, unfortunately. No, exactly. That's my point. Like, there's so many is the cheapest little way. things that are like... Oh, yeah, there's key points, and that's one of them. Yeah, and if, if you just, like, take one of those, then everything falls out. Karl Marx theorized this in his book Das Kapital in the uh, 19th century. He said he was talking about, like, the fragility, and he put in brackets once, say, for example, the Suez Canal gets blocked. Yeah. <laughs> and then proceed to say, like, how things would just go into disarray. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, we need... You'd have... We need a better system. Well, there's nothing you can do about where the water and where the earth is. I know, but that's why we need, you know, more domestic manufacturing. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. But that's... Like... We need we need backup plans. We can't be so reliant on businesses and other countries to do our labor for us because it's cheap. Because capitalism pushes us to do what's cheap. Yeah, well, so it's not capitalism in as much as what is what people are willing to pay for products, which is part of capitalism. Yeah, but in any society, stuff costs money. Yes, but if we had a better system. Um, where people got paid more than they could and um uh you know companies weren't allowed or were somehow controlled from doing four thousand percent markups then you wouldn't have to pay that much more for a domestically produced product yeah i the problem is you you need to control countries that are not it's not the canadian manufacturers right the Canadian manufacturers make a decent wage when you compare it to the Chinese and Asian manufacturers. That's why it's cheaper there. Yeah. So how do you control what China pays their workers? 
Well, you can't control what China pays your workers, but you can um, encourage more domestic production and then f- to sell it for cheaper if, if uh, through various different policies where, again, companies don't do like 4,000% markups. <sighs> that doesn't happen except for in Wi-Fi and movie theater popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> movie theater candy. All right, well, I got one thing for all over the world, and it's a, it's a good story, I think. New Zealand just passed legislation giving mothers and their partners the right to paid leave following a miscarriage or stillbirth. The bereavement allowance passed unanimously in Parliament late on Wednesday, giving employees three days leave when a pregnancy ends with a stillbirth without having to tap into sick leave. I'm surprised this isn't a thing already. Yeah, it's one of the first countries in the world um, to do this. Because... Like, if somebody passes, you there's bereavement leave, so doesn't it just fall under that? I guess not. That's weird. It is weird, and and this is legislation that I think we all need. Yeah. But, you know, New Zealand has a history of being a world leader, especially when it comes to women's rights, but also just social justice in general. I mean, they were the first country um, to give women the right to vote. Hmm. So they have a, a history of doing this. And also, I think it's... I, I like that it passed unanimously, because there's the opposition national party, which is a conservative party. I can't imagine maybe our conservatives would support it if we had something like that. Like, maybe? Pretty hard pretty hard bill not to support. Yeah, well... But I can, I can fully see, like, Republicans in the U.S. opposing it. Unless um, they bring it up. What do you mean? Well, they could bring it up, and then it'd be a great idea. The Democrats bring it up, then it'd be the worst idea ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd probably get, like, your Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski's, maybe, but Romney supporting it, but nobody else. Everything, every little thing, every little thing with you and me had to be so political. Everything, everything with you and me was so political. political i'm gonna let you go first as i finish up my dinner all right well you know i'd love to tell you but uh my screen's frozen and i can't scroll down right now so i can't read what i have so i'm gonna try to pull it up on my phone real quick to see if that's a little bit faster because we're outside it's the wi-fi is a little spotty your first um, your, your first item was about uh christia freeland and camilla harris oh yeah here we go yeah so, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland held her first call with U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris on Thursday. You know, we in Canada don't really have a position that is equivalent to the Vice President, no. um, but Christia Freeland's the closest. So, you know, that's, uh, I wouldn't say they're counterparts, but they're, they're the closest. You know, Deputy Prime Minister is fully a made-up position, but is the closest thing to Vice President, I suppose, and the Finance Minister is a... Uh, a high cabinet position, so so it makes sense that that would be their call. Did uh, she? Christy Freeland is definitely Prime Minister Joe Trudeau's like you know right hand person. Did she call Christy Freeland, or did she just call the Parliament and Christy picked up? She's, <laughs> she's also like secretary along with all the other roles she does. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she just like basically ran everything for Justin Trudeau behind the scenes and then like sometimes wound him up and sent him off to do a press conference, you know? Exactly. Like we turn on Justin to go do it. Then when he comes back, we plug him in in the office and Christy Freeland runs everything else. He's a Roomba. Yeah. I actually don't believe that because I think if that were true, then things would be going a lot better. Probably. <laughs> um, so 
no, Christy Freeland is not in charge, but she's probably doing her best. I think if she weren't there, things would be a lot worse. But anyway, they discussed uh, migration from Central America, the impact of COVID-19 recession, and the continued detention of Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor in China. Um, also adding, uh, discussing the economic blow dealt by COVID-19 pandemic, specifically, quote, the continued need to support entrepreneurs, small business, young people, low-wage, and racialized women, uh, the care economy, and women. Sorry, racialized workers, the care economy, and women. And I read these articles about the calls between officials, and I'm like, are you actually talking? Are you handed, like, pre-scripts, and you're, like, reading off a page on the phone, you know? Or do you just, you know, like, uh, in, like, your first paragraph, you briefly mention each thing so you can say it was talked about, and then you just gab, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you're just yeah. chatting. But, I mean, if they talked about those things, great. I feel like we talk about a lot of those things, and nothing ever happens. What has the U.S. done to help us with the Michaels? Said they're going to uh, help us with the Michaels. Twice now. Yeah. And every call, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we'll help. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Don't, we'll, don't And then they hang up that. and go, find out what they're talking about. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Michael who? <laughs> Blue boy? <laughs> Michael, whoa, well, we're sending the military. No, no, it's some... Oh, well, never mind. Then. <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, I, I, I doubt they care very much. I think the Biden White House probably cares more than the Trump White House. Yes, but that's but, like zero to one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is an infinite increase, yes. but it is also a very small increase. Yes. But speaking of the Biden White House, Biden doubled his original goal on COVID-19 vaccines by pledging that the nation will administer 200 million doses by the end of his first 100 days, as opposed to his original pledge to hit 100 million doses in the first 100 days, because they got there at his 56th day. Yeah, no, they're doing well. But I don't know if I doubled it, because you don't have that amount of time again. Yeah, but... Like, you're a little over the you, halfway mark. You also know that you're going to be... You, everything get, You're going to get better at it. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe would have played it safe and, like, done it, like, added another 15... Like, go from 100 to 150 million. Yeah. Because now if you don't hit that 200, you're going to be criticized. Nah, not really. He's already like he's already well over his first goal. Yeah, but the Republicans will latch on to yeah, literally people anything. Aren't, people aren't that dumb. Half of America is. No, I don't think so. There were Biden Trump voters, so like you well, can clearly my, sway people. One of my political is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll only have a couple, but I'll now's a good time. Biden has hit seventy-five percent approval on the COVID on his COVID response. Now, I, I think it's not hard to impress when you compare to the yeah. last administration. But 75%, that's that's serious. I mean, that's that's really bipartisan. Yeah, uh, despite the fact that zero Republicans voted for it. Not just the um, bill, just his, all his response, how the, the rollout of the vaccine, oh, everything. Oh, yeah. Well, you know... Everything. It's, it's not hard going. to say if you got if you weren't getting vaccinated under Trump and then you got a vaccine under Biden. Well, you know? nobody was getting vaccinated under Trump. Really. Yeah, there wasn't a vaccine yet. It just kind of came out when they. Mm-hmm. But he still didn't have a plan for a rollout. So yeah, no. No, that's uh, good. I, I, I think yeah. people understand that he's doing a good job with the rollout, and I think it's good to set aggressive goals. I, I think it's. A, I think that was a good move. Two hundred. Yeah, I, I'm th- sure they'll make it. They'll probably get two fifty. Yeah. This is something I think we'll be hearing a lot about over the next two years, especially as they go into the midterms. Um, I think they will really play the COVID response. I think it'll be a good card. Yeah. I think, you know, because COVID's not going to be over. Hopefully we'll be like on the tail end of getting back to normal. Uh, ish. Yeah. Um, hopefully a little bit better than normal, but you know, yeah. we'll see. But I, I, so I think they'll still be playing that, uh, you know, unseat some, you know, get back some governorships and unseat some 
you know, expand that Senate majority and hopefully the House majority. But we'll see. I, I, I mean, we'll be talking about this for two years. Yeah, probably. But anyway, continuing on, uh, Jason Kenney. Well, actually, I, I put these things in the wrong order. First order of business, uh, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that the carbon tax is constitutional, um, going in favor of the federal government and against the lawsuit which was brought forward jointly by Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Ontario. Um, and it was a 6-3 ruling. The government argued, um, well, the provinces argued that um, the Constitution gives provincial governments jurisdiction over natural resources, and it fringed upon that jurisdiction. The government argued, um, what is a go-to for the federal government to argue, is that they should be able to do it under the, quote, peace, order, and good government government clause of the um, Constitution, which is, like, what the Constitution promises to all Canadians, blah, blah, blah. It's like our version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, except it doesn't have quite as nice ring to it. Yeah. Um, but normally that argument doesn't work out for the federal government and normally the the supreme court sides with provinces but this time the majority sided with the federal government and chief justice oh i'm a little ashamed right now because i'm forgetting i'm just thinking of the chief justice of the u.s supreme court but uh, i can't remember the canadian supreme court it's richard something um i want to say richard simmons but that is not no no not not no. chief justice richard not simmons um <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, our Chief Justice Richard something, Richard last name, wrote the uh, majority opinion saying that climate change is a threat to all Canadians and it cannot be solved with like a patchwork result. So it needs to essentially be spearheaded by the federal government and therefore the federal government has jurisdiction. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is a pretty solid opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't almost just ignored what the government argued and just said, well, <laughs> your <laughs> argument might not be right, but I still think you are right in general. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So anyway, since then, you know, it came out. The people have been talking to the premiers who lost. And Jason Kenney of Alberta <laughs> says his government didn't prepare a fallback plan on implementing a consumer carbon tax because they were hoping to win. Kenney said the province was buoyed by a lower court win in Alberta and noted that three of the nine Supreme Court justices had concerns with Thursday's majority decision. He quoted, this is a direct quote, it was our hope that we would win. And that is just irresponsible governing. Like, obviously you're hoping you should win, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have a backup plan. You yeah. go into every military battle hoping to win, but you should still have an exit strategy. Did the, uh, did the other provinces have a plan? Um, I haven't heard anything uh, specifically, perhaps because I live in Alberta, so I've only heard about Jason Kenney's response. Right. But I, I hadn't heard anything about the other provinces, to be honest, so that's a good question. But Kenney said, you know, now we're going to consult with Albertans on the path forward. Alberta is currently paying a federally imposed levy, which is set to go up to $40 a ton this year and $50 a ton next year, and will collect more than $2 billion in annual revenue by 2022. And this is important, this next part, because... This is the part that the Conservatives never tell you, and I think a lot of Conservative voters don't realize. 90% of that is rebated back to Albertans, and the rest is invested in green projects. So it's not like the federal... Like I feel like Jason Kenney makes it out to be like the federal government coming in, robbing Alberta's coffers and making away with it in the night to spend on frivolous projects, you know? 90% yeah. of it goes back to the average person. 10% goes into making jobs in Alberta. 
it's it's a good system in my opinion. Sounds all right. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but yeah. Uh, anyway, speaking of the federal government, I just picked on the conservatives, so now I'm going to pick on the liberals. The federal liberal government is fighting a motion made by the conservatives and backed by all other parties to get cabinet ministers' staff to appear at any parliamentary committees. Late yesterday, the House of Commons voted to back a conservative move to summon political staff and civil servants to testify about, and here's a blast from the past, the We Charity Affair, (laughs) and about how uh, sexual misconduct allegations are being handled against the country's top soldier, which is a story we haven't talked about. No, not too much. We we need to, maybe we'll, I'll do some more research and, and, and come back to that next week, but that is something that's been going on for a while. Our, yeah, our top soldier is facing several sexual misconduct allegations, which go as far back as the Harpa era. Uh, and the government had been hearing rumors about it as far back as uh, Stephen Harper's last term. Right. But, and then of course, through Justin Trudeau's last term as well, and yet nothing has been done until just recently. Um, and still, nothing's really been done, but now it's being talked about openly and investigated and stuff. On another topic, um, we close the sunroof, right? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> but anyway, before this vote, the government house leader Pablo Rodriguez, which is the most Spanish name you'll ever find for an, uh, 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 an MP from Quebec. Yeah. <laughs> um, <et> Pablo Rodriguez. <laughs> um, said the liberals will ignore the motion. He argued that it has long been the practice of Parliament for the buck to stop with cabinet ministers when it comes to who is held responsible and questioned at committee. He said calling staff to testify is a form of partisan intimidation. Quote, members of this House are protected from intimidation through our parliamentary privilege. It is irresponsible for members to turn this protection into weapons against those who are not covered by those protections. Rodriguez said the House of Commons said in the House of Commons on Thursday, not only is it irresponsible, but it is a clear abuse of power. The Conservatives responded, saying that the Liberals are trying to do, like, a massive cover-up and hide the truth. And I said I was going to pick on the Liberals with this segment, but to be honest, I don't wholly know how I feel. Because I feel like it is easier to intimidate staffers than it is to intimidate an MP or cabinet minister. And I don't know if you should be able to go against staffers. They are not elected, they are not, you know, partisan, they are hired. And I think it should go through, you know, the boss. Yeah, but at a, this is at a trial sort of thing? No, it's at uh, testify before committee, so like... Kind of like uh, a trial. Yeah, but there's no judgment going to be passed. It's just about getting information. But you want to get to what actually happened, so don't you need to ask the people that actually did the work? If you want to get first-hand information? <sighs> like, otherwise I it's mean, just... I uh, mean, uh, a member of cabinet has, you know, they should know, they should, I don't know, maybe they don't, but they should know what's going on anyway. Yeah, but they're going to spin it. I mean, the staffers might spin it, but at least you have a bit more chance of getting to the bottom of things. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like when you go to be an elected official, you signed up for this. But, you know, if you're just like a bureaucrat writing bills or something, just doing what you're told, but that's the, not what you signed up for. Well, I think whenever you work for the government, but either way, you, you know, they're not they're not being put on trial. They're just going to be brought in. You know, did you do this? Did you do that? Yes, no, yes, no. And then they go home. I don't, I don't see the problem. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, as long as it's like that. But if you try to intimidate somebody into, you know, making a blunder or... Yeah, they or, shouldn't be doing that. And that's probably, I'm sure the tribunal has somebody from a lot of different parties on it. That's up. Yeah, to they them. all do. All the committees have... Yeah, and, and even I'm sure the... You know, they'd have a lawyer come in with the person. So I hope so. The lawyer would say, "You don't, you know, don't answer that." Yeah, but it's as long if they had a lawyer go in, then I'd be more comfortable with it. But I would just worry about, you know, because I know some trying to trick them into saying something. 
potentially. I, I get yeah. That. that could happen, but... But there are some serious... There are some MPs, you know, and I, I, I'm not... I mean, this just isn't going to happen on the liberal side right now because they're in government. I'm sure it would happen on the liberal side if they were in opposition, but I don't... They, I haven't really watched them in opposition. I, when I started paying attention to politics, it was Conservative Government NDP opposition, yeah. so I've never seen the liberals in opposition. So I only... So this is not... I don't mean this to be a purely partisan attack... But um, there are MPs, I know, and they're all conservative, but who are like bullies. Like, you watch them in the House of Commons, they're bullies. In Washington Committee, they're bullies. Pierre Polyev, Michelle Rempel-Garner, a few others who are just, like, they're kind of mean. And they really, you know, it's, you know, the conservatives portray them as, you know, like, powerful and, like, going after the truth. And, you know, when you're dealing with an MP, fine, I get it. But when you're pressuring somebody who is, you know, a staffer or something, I... Like, don't bully them. No, yeah. Just go no, for the truth. Absolutely. So that's why you have to have other people there, not just, yeah. not just him and that, and, and, and maybe a lawyer representing the person that's yeah. doing the talk. If they did that, then I'd be, then I would be more okay with it, because I, I do think that, you know, that the, we should know the truth, but the staffers, I, that is my concern. I, I, I don't, I don't care about, you know, covering up for the liberal government or anything like that. I yeah. think government should be as transparent as it possibly can, but I do have concern for the treatment of the staffers, and so if they had a lawyer or something, I'd be okay with it. I couldn't find an article for this story, and I think I must have just blown by it because this was kind of like a rapidly prepared thing. The uh, Auditor General did uh, uh, an audit of the of Canada Health and found that they were ill-prepared for the pandemic and underestimated the danger in uh, this week's episode of No Duh. Yeah, I thought we <laughs> talked about that a week or two ago. Well, this story is, this a- is from March 25th. Oh, okay. Maybe not then. So, Somebody else, there's something else that was very similar to that. Yeah, here, I just, I just found an article. It says, Despite nearly two decades of warnings, planning, and government spending, the Public Health Agency of Canada was not ready for a global pandemic and did not appreciate the threat it posed in its early stages. I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, I mean, that's... We've been... It's a, it seems like an easy area to cut costs and, and save money, but really... When you're not dealing with a pandemic, yeah. Ultimately... It cost a lot more. If we were well prepared, we would have had to spend a lot less. Yeah. Her, uh, she reviewed, you know, she reviewed a whole bunch of just like the whole response. So like the CERB and the emergency wage subsidy um, to determine whether it reached people in need and whether government put enough controls to limit abuse. But the most critical comments came towards the preparedness. Uh, she said, I am discouraged that the Public Health Agency of Canada did not address longstanding issues, some of which were raised repeatedly for more than two decades. Yeah. Not good. So, I just hope that, you know, we keep the government's feet to the fire even once the pandemic's over, so that this... Yeah, for, it's going to happen again. It, yeah. It, it might not be even in our lifetimes, but it's going to happen again. I think it will probably be in our lifetimes. Probably, but, uh, but you know, maybe yeah. maybe you go on a run like the last one, you know. But we, but yeah. You got to be ready. Absolutely. Even, I mean, this is obviously super big, but yeah, we were talking about, you know, even SARS. Yeah. Um, You know... We were ravaged by that. So, yeah, we just need to be better. Uh, and now, in one of my probably most bipartisan stories, I do not often praise the Conservatives in any way, any any level. But there are two things that the UCP are currently looking at doing that I like. The first one 
kind of involves an old story where the the Lethbridge Alberta Lethbridge Alberta's police service has been under a lot of fire recently. There have been recent complaints about the service employees using police databases to do unauthorized searches for information, including one story where they um, back when the NDP were in charge, they accessed the personal information of a cabinet minister. And this story is two Lethbridge police service members had already been disciplined for f- photographing and following Lethbridge West NDP MLA Shannon Phillips while she was environment minister. And then they uh, also found out that they accessed her personal information illegally for no apparent investigation. This was after the NDP government released plans to limit activities, like expand uh, protected park area and stuff like that. And these two officers were avid ATVers, and they weren't going to be allowed to ATV in their favorite areas. So they decided to conduct an illegal investigation against the environment minister, because that's a reasonable response. So they're in trouble, and then there was found out to be like five officers were recently suspended after they were allegedly involved in creating and disseminating what have been described as uh, toxic memes targeting uh, Senior Brass and Shannon Phillips, the the minister. So there's just been a lot of abuse of power and unauthorized acts against against government ministers. Um, so the Justice Minister in Alberta, uh, UCP Justice Minister Casey Madu, wrote a letter to the chief of the Lethbridge police officer saying essentially you have three weeks to give me a plan about how you're gonna revolutionize and improve things or i'm gonna dissolve your entire department wow the lethbridge police chief has said that they already have a plan underway and we'll have it in less than three weeks but yeah good this is this is the type of unacceptable behavior from police forces and this is the response like you can't just like let them off like a slap on the wrist because they are too important for that they have too important of a job and it needs to be behave or you're all fired yeah and then the rcmp just takes over temporarily while they rebuild a new police department and um yeah so i think that's great i think that's great we were talking earlier not in the podcast but just you and i about the last week last week's john oliver episode where he talked about recycling and how it sucks and is mostly ineffective and one of the things he said at the end is that one of the ways to sort of combat this is to initiate laws, and they had a name, but I can't remember what they are, but to initiate laws where you shift the cost of dealing with plastic waste from the public money to the private sectors. To the people that to, produce it. Yeah, exactly. And then it's their responsibility to then deal with the waste. Yeah. Because that would either, you know, have it dealt with or produced less. Yeah. Alberta's looking at implementing those types of laws. They should. They should, I agree. They're in consultation or whatever. I, I don't fully trust the government to actually do it but even the fact they're considering it is shocking and a good thing so i just praised the conservatives let's make a note i can do that (laughs) so it's not just everything they do is bad to me (laughs) Uh, last week we were talking about the budget and the fact that the conservatives have been hounding the liberals for a budget well they're going to release their first budget since march of 2019 it is expected to provide a full accounting of all government spending through the pandemic, which has sent the deficit for the fiscal year to almost $400 billion. It is also expected to outline the Liberals' plan to spend between $70 billion and $100 billion over the coming years on stimulus to help the economy recover. It is the first ec- uh, budget for Freeland. The last budget was delivered by Bill Monroe. All right, well, we'll see um, how it goes for her. Yeah. Um, Not the best one to start off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of a rough starting place. Yeah. So good luck, Christia. Speaking of announced plans, Aaron O'Toole has said that the Conservative climate change plan is expected in coming months. And that is as specific as he got. I didn't think they believed in climate change. Yeah, they voted that climate change didn't exist. Yeah. 
Right. So their plan's going to be really short. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but still taking them months to write. Yeah. I don't expect much. Well, why would it be much when they when it doesn't exist? Yeah. Okay, Aaron. Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau has compared dealing with China on the international stage to standing up to a schoolyard bully, saying, quote, I've known bullies in my life and I know bullies can change, but bullies don't change unless you send a very clear message to them. He continued, we are going to do it in Canada, but we're doing it more and more with our like-minded allies who believe in the principles of democracy and respect for human rights. And that message is going to be given to China more and more as we move forward. Canada joined the United States, United Kingdom, and European Union this week in imposing sanctions on four Chinese officials suspected of being responsible for the persecution of Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in the Xinjiang province. There is a genocide going on there, if you didn't know. In retaliation, China announced sanctions on individuals and entities in Canada and the United States in response to uh, the sanctions. China sanctioned, most notably, MP Michael Chong, who is your MP, who is also Conservative Party's foreign affairs critic. It was also placed on the House of Commons Subcommittee on International Human Rights, which concluded in October that China's treatment of the Uyghur population amounts to genocide. The individuals concerned are prohibited from entering the mainland, Hong Kong, and Macau of China, and Chinese citizens and institutions are prohibited from doing business with the relevant individuals and having exchanges with the relevant entity, the ministry wrote. Michael Chong said he wears it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure they're not broken up about that. Yeah. Um, it's the same way as, uh, you know, um, Christy Freeland's been sanctioned by Russia, you know? Yeah. She's like, oh, boo-hoo, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this was an interesting story that I wanted to mention because it's like a little bit of very public inter-party fighting. A veteran liberal backbencher took a liberal cabinet minister to task Tuesday for failing to give real teeth to a new watchdog who is supposed to investigate human rights abuses by Canadian companies operating abroad. Toronto MP John McKay has for decades campaigned for just such a watchdog, but he believes the recently created position of Canadian Ombudsperson for Responsible Enterprise falls short of what's needed because the watchdog has not been given any of or not been given any power to compel company executives to testify or to produce documents. McKay took his criticism directly to Mary Ng, Minister of Small Business, Export Promotion, and International Trade during a House of Commons committee meeting Tuesday. He said, you and I have exchanged correspondences and had quite a number of conversations about the issue, and to put it delicately, we don't agree. While there have been some improvements in corporate social responsibility, McKay said that some companies are pretty bad actors who aren't going to voluntarily change their ways or cooperate with the ombudsperson. And, um, you know, we don't talk about it, but especially in Africa, Canadian mining companies are vicious. Yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, if you, uh, it's not just Canadian companies. No, no, it's not. But, you know, we are responsible for Canadian companies to a degree. To a degree. So, yeah, but uh, it does feel, I kind of agree. If you're going to have the person there and pay them a wage then you have to be able to let them do something something to do yeah (laughs) what's the point like don't create a position that can't do anything yeah come testify no okay (laughs) it just seems like i agree with them i agree too there's no point in having it no just if you if you're not going to give them teeth then don't make it it's a it's a show it's not yeah absolutely I agree, yeah, so that's that. Moving on, the federal conservatives are calling for a national plan to reopen the economy, even as fears rise that some provinces are on the cusp of a third wave of the pandemic. In a motion before the House of Commons today, the conservatives demanded that the federal government develop and present to Parliament a, quote, clear, data-driven plan to support safely, gradually, and permanently lifting COVID-19 restrictions. The non-binding motion calls for the plan to be presented within 20 days of its passage. 
The President of the United States and the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom have both released public plans for economic reopening, but Trudeau refuses to give Canadians clarity on whether and when regular and social life will be able to resume and under what circumstances and conditions. I don't think you can. I don't think you can give a, 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 a solid plan. Like, you could give a, this is what we'd like to do. Yeah, that's but, what you gotta do. Yeah, but things need to be able to change, like, and then you can't expect them to hold to that no matter what. Yeah, I'm sure... I mean, the other thing is, you look at the UK has vaccinated 30 million people, the US has vaccinated 100 million people. Yeah. It's a lot easier for them to have a plan. Yeah. Because they can see the end of it. And I would also say it's easier for the UK to have a plan because they're a unitary system. They don't have provincial governments, you know? They know, they have their plan to vaccinate their country and then they can model their um, economic reopening exactly to that. Whereas, you know, every province has a different kind of vaccination plan and the federal government has to, like, maneuver all of that yeah. now again the states has to do that because they have the state governments but they have a third of their population vaccinated we have what's f- five yeah, and 30 over 10 percent. yeah 15 percent or something yeah so it like it's not the same situation no it's and it's maybe the feds should have run this more and not left it to the provinces they're gonna they're taking most of the blame for it so yeah. Maybe they should have just run it. I don't know. I mean, personally, again, health is a provincial issue, so they couldn't. But I think the federal government needs more power and the provincial governments need less. At least in on general. That. At least on the health issue, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I would argue health, natural resources, and education. But that's just my opinion. I mean, to me, this reads as one of three things. Aaron O'Toole doesn't understand the situation. Aaron O'Toole is mindlessly posturing to keep the support of his, uh, you know, one of the conservative core bases, which are like, you know, anti-maskers, whatever, people who just want to reopen no matter what, or he's completely incompetent. Uh, I think he's just setting them up for failure because whatever the plan is, the way, you know, at the rate we're vaccinating that, it's we're likely not to hit the plan, and then he can say you didn't hit the plan. So, he's, so it's posturing. It, it's posturing. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Which, you know, I really thought, I really hoped that there might be a slightly less partisanship when dealing with pandemic and less posturing, but I guess not. It's, but the problem is it's the main issue when it comes to the election. Like, that's yeah. why he's so popular right now. So, yeah, it's never going to be not political. It is political. Biden won on it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of elections, two weeks after Newfoundland and Labrador voted, um, final results have finally been announced, I guess, counting mail-in ballots and all that fun stuff. The Liberal Party won 22 of the legislature's 40 seats, a slim majority after 10 weeks of electoral tumult. The long overdue results, released all at once after weeks of ballot counting, handed the reins back to incumbent Premier Andrew Fury. Great name. Yeah. The Liberals claimed 48.2% of the total vote and added two seats. For a first-past-the-post election, that's a pretty, pretty close... Yeah, like they they got almost fifty percent of the vote, and got just over fifty percent of the seats. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, four percent disparity. Um, it's not great. Could do better, but it's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, but not to say that first past the post is good. That is, this is just like an outlier election. The Liberals actually added two seats. They used to hold exactly fifty percent of the seats before this election, and then they added two seats, so they expanded their very slim majority. It was a chaotic election that showed both opposition party leaders failed to reclaim their seats. 
Progressive Conservative leader Ches Crosby was not re-elected to the District of Windsor Lake, losing to the Liberals by more than 500 votes, and NDP leader Alison Coffin also lost her seat in St. John's East Quiddy Vitty by just over 50 votes. What the hell is that <laughs> riding name? Yeah. Quiddy Vitty. <laughs> 50 votes sucks, too. <laughs> yeah, so close, eh? Yeah. Mind um, you, John's East Quiddy Vitty might only have 60 uh, people. Yeah. <laughs> no, St. John's, that's the capital. Oh, St. John's. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I just saw John's. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so then the PCs now have 13 seats, down two members since the House of Assembly dissolved in January, which means the NDP must have picked up a seat somewhere because they lost a seat but didn't have a net loss. So yeah. they obviously beat somebody somewhere. And, you know, if you lose an election, your status as party leader is on shaky ground. If you lose your seat yeah. as well... You're in big trouble. They're done. They're both they're, done. Yeah. They, I, I haven't checked, but I wouldn't be surprised if they've both just resigned. The Liberal Party in PEI, when they had their election a few years ago, uh, the incumbent premier, Wayne something, or Wade something, Wade McLaughlin, Wayne McLaughlin, something like that, uh, he lost his seat very narrowly to the conservatives who claimed a minority now majority government. And he resigned as soon as his riding was called. Yeah. The... I gotta say, it's the three leaders, Andrew Fury, Chess Crosby, and Alison Coffin, gotta be the most interesting names of the leaders for any province. And to come from Newfoundland. <laughs> in Lapp- like, like yeah. they're not even, like, major players. Like, yeah. who the hell cares, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but they are. Like, you got Andrew Fury, who I guess is a distant cousin of Nick Fury. Yeah. Um, Chess Crosby, which is just great alliteration. Yeah. And then Alison Coffin. <laughs> yeah. Like a vampire or something. Yeah. But too bad they're not gonna be leaders anymore. <laughs> nope. Yeah, there we go. That was that's my last story. Okay, well, I have mine short. So oh my god, you haven't even gone yet. <laughs> there's some problems at the at the U.S. Mexico border as migrants make their way into the states. Now, apparently, Ted Cruz was stopped for making a video at one of the immigration stations, which is not a great look. No, but don't worry because Trump says he's going to visit the southern border soon, so that'll straighten it out. Yeah, they'll, they'll just all turn and run. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh shit, you're still here? Okay, we're done. I think, I mean, in order for this to happen this quickly, they all must have been waiting there, right? Like, well, all yes. these people want to go to the they, States. They were. And they were sitting right at the border thinking, I'm not going to cross now. They were. So th- Trump didn't need a wall. He just needed to be president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And nobody crosses. <laughs> yeah. You need to do something about it. You can't have... It's it's apparently horrible conditions. Like, people crammed in on top of each other. Like, yeah, it's not any better than when Trump was doing it. There are still the children in cages. But there's a lot less... Yeah, it's it's no better. It's no better. Yeah. Like that, it, I know he's busy with the pandemic, but you're president. you got to do more than one thing at a time. Yeah, you have to be able to multitask. Yeah. Now, he has appointed uh, Kamala Harris, tasked her with, you know, dealing with it. Yeah. Which is, to me, essentially saying, uh, it's your problem now. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that's great, but... It has to happen. Like, now. You can't wait. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. And this is one of the reasons that, that Trump lost, and you're making him look good. Yeah. Like, or and you're, you're making him look not as bad. Yeah. And it it's not going to help with this COVID. This is the first 100 days thing. Yeah. Like, do it. Yeah. And, I mean, you've essentially got a COVID breeding ground down there. Absolutely. So this is also part of COVID. This needs to be handled. Yeah. And to be honest... It's also just smart for them electorally because, you know, they just won Arizona. Like, they squeaked out a victory in Arizona. Yeah. Texas has been narrowing, and that was the closest the Democrats come since Jimmy Carter won it 
back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, they just won Georgia. And these southern states, not so much Georgia, but these southern states that border with Mexico, that's who's handling this issue. Yeah. And when a Democrat's president and the 2018 midterms come along, you have governor elections in those states where you have the chance of claiming the governorship in Arizona for the first time ever. The one of the attacking points is going to be like we have this huge migrant crisis at our southern border. Yeah. The Democrats aren't doing anything about it. You want to give them a Democratic governor too to continue to make it worse? Absolutely. Like if they have a hope, this is not the top priority. I should say they should do it because it is a human rights concern and it is the right thing to do. Yeah. But if nothing else, it's smart for them electorally. Yeah, they have to clear it up as soon. Because as if they can clear that up and then turn around and say like this has been a problem for six years. And you've had a Republican presidents and Republican governors, and I managed to clean it up in two. Like me, more Democrats, I'll keep it great, you know? Yeah, hopefully. Good luck to him, but it's something that has to take, he's, he has to take care of. He does. And Senator Steve Daines suggested he missed the days when Americans made their own meth. <laughs> his, uh, his quote is, There's a flood of Mexican meth, Mexican heroin, Mexican fentanyl. 20 years ago in Montana, meth was homemade. It was homegrown, and you had purity levels less than 30%. Today, the meth that is getting into Montana is Mexican cartel. Now, listen. Everybody wants everybody wants business in their own state. Yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously my biases are clear, but I have criticisms against lots of Democratic senators who I think are doing things that are wrong, unfair, stupid... But I don't understand how the Republicans managed to elect so many people who are also idiots. Yeah, he... <laughs> like, they're idiots. Who the fuck think, says this? I think, his, I think what he meant... Well, I don't know what he meant. But I'll just, <laughs> yeah! Like, like, what do you mean? What, does he, what did he mean? He doesn't, what did he mean? Ideally, I think he doesn't, he doesn't want any meth, but the meth now is worse than what the meth used to be. More dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. I but that's not what he said. That's not what he said. It's clear. Like, it's not what like he said. even if that's what he meant, like at least the Democrats, when they say bad things, they say it coherently. Yeah, and not stupidly. But like, I mean, even, you know, you got this guy. You got Tommy Tuberville from Alabama, who was a football coach, who beat incumbent Senator Doug Jones, who was a uh, civil rights lawyer. Like that man's an idiot. You ever hear him talk? He's an idiot. Yeah. Like the the one the. The oh, what was the woman's name with the mask? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, in the House of Representatives. Yeah, idiot. Yeah, there's another woman who's been making headlines, Republican, in, in the, the House of Representatives, who uh, like in all her Zoom calls just has like a bunch of gun racks, and she constantly says things that just like she's like trying to own liberals when they backfire on her. <laughs> she's an idiot. The common ground is they aren't politicians, and that seems to be a big thing right now. Yeah. But you don't need to be a politician to not be an idiot. No, that's true. You that's can find Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, there's a few. Not but, a politician, but, but a lot of. Well, them, I mean, she is now. But a lot of them don't run. Yeah, because they can do other things and make more money. Or they run for the Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you something about my life. Oh, closer to fine. I just, I just have one thing on there. We were. We were doing some shopping today while I was in town, and and uh, you wanted some some mini eggs. Yeah, that were on sale at the superstore. So we 
went there, 943 grams, $13 or so. Just, just, just less, just, yeah. yeah good, so pretty good deal for mini eggs. Yeah, I think they're regular $16, $17. Limit of six. <laughs> Who needs 12 pounds worth of mini <laughs> eggs? <laughs> Is anybody buying the limit? <laughs> That's crazy. Bakeries? Uh, maybe, maybe. I guess that maybe, but that's insane. It's <laughs> a lot of mini eggs. That is a lot of mini. It's eggs. a lot of mini eggs. A lot of rabbits <laughs> had to do a lot of work. To get <laughs> How did rabbits get associated with eggs? I don't know. Hershey's, I'm guessing, or who? Cadbury's, the the, the cream <sighs> eggs. Yeah, I guess e- rabbits were associated with Easter. And then somehow eggs got associated with Easter, and then like was did they what came first, the chicken or the egg? When associated with Easter, <laughs> well, but now like you know chicks and 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 no, I guess not chickens, but chicks are kind of associated with Easter. Are they? Yeah. Okay, where? A little bit. I don't know that. And in modern culture. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, and I wonder if that's because they brought in eggs for Easter. And then they're like, oh, man, we got to make this make sense. Why the hell is a bunny delivering eggs? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't think this one through, man. <laughs> How did we get from um, Jesus sacrifices himself for all I sins to bunny delivering eggs? People like chocolate. I feel like, I don't know, maybe Jesus can deliver the chocolate. That's what he was doing when he was, like, you know, he's in the tomb for three days. Making I, chocolate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he came out and he delivered it. Like, why a bunny? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, why does Santa deliver presents on Christmas? At least he's a saint. At least he's a Christian saint. Yeah. Like, for a Christian holiday. Well, is the bunny not sainted? (laughs) Canonized? No. I don't think the bunny's been canonized. Are you sure? Um, 75% sure. Never know. (laughs) Um, For my close to find, I didn't write anything down, but, you know, I just finished my first week of studio theater rehearsal, which was fun, and it's good, and we're doing it despite the pandemic, so I feel good. Yeah, it was nice to... I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but we got a tour of the important spot. <laughs> the spot where where you do your rehearsals, like the, the backstage of the Tim's Theater here in Edmonton. So yeah. it was kind of cool to see that spot, and it looks like a good area for you guys to work in. Rehearsal hall, yeah. Nice and spacious, six feet apart. And now the end is near. Okay, finishing up. Go ahead. Parting thoughts. Well, uh, I just want to mention, we kind of talked about John Oliver's recycling earlier, and uh, it's a very good episode. To be blunt, I find them less funny than I used to. I don't know if if John Oliver's less funny, or different writers or something, but... I think I was going to say, I thought this year's have all been like really spot on. And maybe they're not as funny, but he's he's almost taken a more serious tone because he's dealt with more serious things. Well, that's that's the next thing I was going to say is that I still watch it, though, because I find it very educational and talking about issues that you don't talk about in the mainstream. And that's what he does. That's kind of the point of his show. Like, that's what he wants to do. But I, I think it's very important. I think it's an important show to watch because I think he also gives a a less biased view than some of the news. It's definitely a biased view. No, he is. He's. He's. I mean, I think he's open about how left wing he is, but he is pretty, just talk, pretty much just talks about kind of the facts. And then when he's talking about my opinion, he generally, you know, talks about this is my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's uh, no doubt, but it's definitely comes at it from an angle. Like there's not. It's not like. It's yeah. Not, it's it's not exactly. Yeah. Independent. He's. 
I'd say less biased than like Tucker Carlson. Yeah, it did a great episode on Tucker Carlson as well. Yeah, that was uh, really good. Talked about maybe a potential run for him for the 2024 presidency, which is scary. Yeah, well, we see if he get the nomination. He won't run if Donald Trump runs. No, that's true. But yeah, what 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 I wanted to mention though is he talked about what is a phenomenal point is that. A lot of recycling initiatives, a lot of the people lobbying for certain recycling laws, a lot of people funding recycling campaigns are plastic and oil companies. Yeah. And the reason for this is something that I've known and I've, I've talked about for a while, but I think is not very well known, is that because recycling and these types of initiatives, they put the onus on the consumer, on the individual, to deal with the pollution and the environmental damage that companies are doing it's like you want to save the planet you got to recycle you got to deal with our waste well giving the um companies the opportunity to completely avoid responsibility and you know you're recycling you feel like you're doing something so you don't think about it beyond that you think it's okay most plastics aren't recyclable yeah nobody's gonna tell you that the seven the seven different types of plastic, at least in the U.S., I think, uh, obviously he's talking about the States, but yeah. but only the first two were recyclable. But they all have those gre- those arrows around them. All the numbers have those arrows yeah. around it to make it look like they're recyclable, but five out of seven are not. Yeah. In fact, the, there are laws that were campaigned for by the plastic and oil industry that mandate that you put the three arrows on any plastic product no matter what. Yeah, even if it's not recycled. Yeah. And there are some of that in Canada. If you look at it, what matters in Canada, I don't know if this is in the U.S., but it has, if it has a number in the middle, then it might be recyclable. But there's some stuff with no numbers, and that is not recyclable. Yeah, it depends on the number, and then it depends on your area. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But my point is, climate change is not... Recycling's important, and he ends with that. He's yeah. like, you should still recycle well. Recycle well. Recycle intelligently. Recycle intelligently. Um, and so it's important, and we do need to do this, but we, sh- we can't think that that's going to save the planet, that that's going to stop pollution, that that's going to stop global warming. Yeah, the, Bigger things are needed to be done, and we need to... Well, this comes back to what you were talking about earlier, where they have the, you know, the, the user, not user pay, but producer pay. Yeah. It was. And more than that. Like, we need more than that. And I really believe... The answer is the most powerful thing you can do for all these things. You know, I, I sign petitions. I've gone to marches. I volunteer for campaigns that I care about. But I think the most powerful thing you can really do if you don't have the time, because life is crazy for those types of things, vote. You got to vote. And you got to vote for people who have actual plans to deal with this thing. And part of that is the private sector, you know, has to be made to deal with these issues properly and to be more responsible and you know the invisible hand isn't doing crap and also you need to also buy you know buy glass instead of plastic or or you know cardboard or whatever instead of plastic yeah other recyclable container because if people stop buying it then they'll stop making it but that stuff's more expensive yeah it is a little bit another amazing fact from that episode was the the microfoot plastics in the ocean get eaten by fish and then eventually you people eat fish and people are basically ingesting these microplastics that they flew through like a credit cards worth of plastic a week or something like that i think it might have been a credit cards worth a year but that's still a bit too much no i think it was more than a year maybe a month 
Maybe, but you got it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It was by, depends on how much fish you eat. By, yeah. I think it's something that by like 2050, the plastic in the ocean will outweigh the fish. Yeah, that's right. Also, I feel like every time we see a picture of the Earth, it's a nice, pretty Earth. Do they just edit out the uh, Pacific Garbage Patch? I think, Which is yeah, probably. bigger than like Australia? <laughs> like, if we saw more pictures of that kind of thing, like if we saw this big, just garbage hunk from space, which you can, that might maybe impress the weight on it a bit more for yeah. people. Yeah, probably. They just take pictures from their good side. That's not my good yeah. side. Don't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. don't take that side. <laughs> like, it's it's ridiculous. But I, I maintain that, you know, we can do, and we should do as much as we can for environmental stewardship, but at the end of the day, if we're going to save the planet, it's going to come down to regulating the private sector. Yeah, yeah, and the Again, the issue is you can't. You can only reg- regulate your own country. Yeah, which is and you know, um, which is why really, it's it, it's going to come down to China and the U.S. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do our part. No, no, we absolutely. need to regulate we can be, we can everything. Be a leader. We can. Yeah. yeah, we can be a leader in that area. And listen, I've said time and time again that the transition to the green economy is necessary. And, and inevitable because it's going to be that or the world's going to fall apart and the, it's happened before right when uh, in the Obama era when he started he put a restriction on cars as far as uh, what the what what fuel what their fuel efficiency had to be yeah and it was it was way lower than what they were doing way lower and they gave them a timeline and and it, you know they innovated and then they they beat it by you know in less than the required time and everybody thought it was impossible sort of the way they said yeah you can absolutely do it it's not hard to do and you know it uh, necessity is the mother of invention yeah so it's it'll somebody will come up with something if it's required yeah and now you you know there's an argument um i think that you could make from the right wing that you know like well the the private sector is going to deal with this itself, and we talked. We've talked about the promises made by companies like um, GM, and I think uh, Volkswagen might have another one yeah. that said they were going to like um, twenty thirty five. Yeah, like fully electric fleet. Yeah, exactly, stuff like that. But John Oliver made a good point in this recycling video where he said Coca Cola has made promises about reducing plastic level in the past, but there's nothing holding the companies and the, to that. And not only that, but he he brought up stuff and they've missed it, like not even close to their targets. Yeah, because they just quiet like they make a big deal to get the good publicity and then they just quietly ignore it yeah and and nobody calls them on it once it, i think it was like by 212 they were gonna reduce plastic by 50 yeah, percent and they and reduced it by five percent or something yeah I and guess. you know you said you know we look at 2035 that's just over, just under 15 years down the line everyone's gonna forget Probably. and that's the nice thing about those kind of extended promises is it's like 2035 that's way sooner than the 2050 goal that the government has so the companies look good but you just, no one's going to remember this province no but it, but there, at least there is that backstop of 2050 that the government said you know that's yeah you but people the, are saying that's not soon enough well we'll see you know so if somebody's not holding the private sector to account it's not going to happen yeah that's true anyway that's my parting thoughts well I was I stayed in the Fairmount McDonald while I was here because I have not because it because it was free basically more or less free because I have a lot of points there and I'm trying to use them before they expire at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they don't expire, but I won't be a platinum member by the at, by the end of the year. Yeah, I'll still have points, but 
I'll just be a normal person. <laughs> so uh, I stayed in a room there. Very nice hotel. Nice room. But, uh, you know, it just... Rich people live different. And, you know, not necessarily better or worse, just different, right? It's like <laughs> my bathroom, for example, has something in it called a shoe mitten. <laughs> I, I don't have any idea what that is. <laughs> but somebody does, like most people do. Most people that stay in that room probably know what a shoe mitten is. Yeah. And they're like, oh, good, my shoe mitten. <laughs> I, I didn't use it. For keeping your shoes warm at night, maybe? So when I, you put them on in the morning, they're toasty? I don't know. I don't know. Why is it in the bathroom? I don't know. Where are you going to put your shoe mitten? I don't know. <laughs> near near your shoes? Closet? Ah, it's dirty over there. Don't want to dirty your shoe mitten. <laughs> I don't know. Very bizarre. And the soap. <laughs> I mean, I'm staying at a decent hotel in, in Saskatoon, but the the soap at this place is awesome. Like, you just feel like you've bathed in gold dust or something. <laughs> yeah. It so reminds nice. me, there was there was an eighth floor button on that that was, like, uh, way above all the other buttons and everything else, yes. and you need, like, some sort of special card to get yes. to it. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of the episode of Modern Family when they all yeah. stay in that hotel. And Jay, a, there's just 38? Yeah. And he goes out, and he's counting, <laughs> yeah. he's counting, he's counting, and he gets up to 38th floor, and he's happy, and then he figures out there's 39th, and he goes yeah. out, and he's counting, and he's miscounted yeah. again. 39! God damn it! <laughs> That's just such a funny show. Yeah. Brilliant show. My parting thoughts are getting heavy, and yours are always like, my hotel room soap is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep oh. it light. Yeah. Alrighty, well, thank you for listening to our outdoor episode. I hope there wasn't too much wind noise. The rain is now cleared. Yeah. Uh, Maybe but... we should have listened back after, like, the first segment to see if it was really windy. Well, we didn't. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, talk at you again next week. <laughs>